Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Reese Barr is a comedian, actress, playwright, and author, born in New York City and who grew up in Israel. You've seen her in a variety of supporting roles on screen, most recently in 2021 as a spa nurse in HBO Max's Hacks and as a rehab roommate on ABC's The Connors. Barr's other TV credits have included guest spots on Friends, The Drew Carey Show, Star Trek Voyager, 911, Good Girls, as well as her own comedy series on Mark Cuban's HDNet called Svetlana, plus a recurring role as Rachel Heineman on Curb Your Enthusiasm. In 2006 alone, she co-starred in the original pilot for The Big Bang Theory, co-starred on the big screen in Larry the Cable Guy Health Inspector, and debuted her one-woman show Die, which earned her a Lucille Lortel Award. She's written two books and co-authored a third, the Curb-inspired advice manual, The Book of Leon. Barr spoke to me from Tel Aviv about her life and career, as well as her character podcast, X-Ray, which first introduced her to me in 2019. So let's get to it! So thank you for zooming, Arise Bar. Thank you for zooming in from Tel Aviv. My pleasure. The the wonders of of Zoom and technology. We <laughs> yeah. can we don't have to meet at the Comedy Cellar. We can podcast anywhere. That's right. I feel like I'm I feel like uh, older than you know. I feel like that generation that still marvels. Like oh my god, you texted me and I just got it <laughs> across the world. You know, like I still get excited by the marvels of technology. Like like my mom would. Speaking of Marvel and technology, I haven't watched all of the episodes of Loki, but based on your resume, I wouldn't be surprised if you showed up in that also. Oh, that would be amazing. I haven't really done anything like that since Star Trek, which was my first, my first gig, but I saw the trailer for Loki. It looks great. I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of those kinds of, you know what I mean? Like it's not the thing I rushed to, but this one looks good. Well, but that's the thing is like, you've been in kind of everything right (laughs) even though you're in tel aviv even though it's a pandemic like i turn on the tv and you're in the connors the connors yeah i did a couple episodes of that that was surreal shooting yeah and then you were in an episode of hacks yeah that was great hacks was amazing loved i mean congratulations on thank you on not only surviving the pandemic but thriving how does how do you do that um, I think I'm a, I mean, I mean, I'm a workaholic anyway. Um, mm-hmm. and I was living in LA. People joke about how life in LA didn't change that much pre, you know, before the pandemic and after, cause it's kind of a quiet city, you know what I mean? City in general, like the streets mm-hmm. are kind of empty anyway. So you wouldn't see as, as a discernible difference. Um, but I don't know. I was very motivated. I think it was not, not having to spend three hours in my car driving to auditions and meetings and having all this energy at home. Uh, and I did a lot of stand up. Yeah, I did the stand up on Zoom and I booked a few jobs and I was, you know, I hosted a, a theater festival online. I kind of embraced it. But towards the end, obviously, I think everybody was getting burnt out. So it was definitely that, you know, I shot Hacks in January, which was great. I was so happy to be back on, you know, on a soundstage um, and the Connors, too. The Connors was surreal because we did that without a studio audience. And I hadn't done a multicam in years. Um and it was it was a little it was great because, you know, John Goodman and, and all these amazing, you know, and all the actors from the Connors and um, Laurie Metcalf and all, you know, uh, Lisi and all this. But it's it was surreal because it's, it's like it's quiet. You come on stage, you know, it's dark. You do it. You leave. It's it felt felt kind of odd. Right. It's not like when you're on an episode of Friends and 
There's all right. the hoopla that surrounds that. Yeah, I did. Episode, I did an episode of Friends. Yeah. And that was the final season when they were all like massive celebrities at this point. And um, and, you know, the craft services was just trays of sushi being passed around constantly. And, you know, you're not supposed to breathe near the actors, but they were they were all very lovely. I have to say they were all very lovely. Well, is that why? Like, I find it um, I find it extra amusing in hindsight to think that. When you fir- when we first connected, yes. You, when you reached out to me, it wasn't for anything like that. It was for this podcast called X Ray, where you're yes. in this bizarre character. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, Ray Lynn. And I was like, Who is this person? And why does she want me to write about this weird thing? But now, <laughs> but now that I have the hindsight of of you and your career, I'm like, Oh, yeah, that's what you you kind of specialize in being. This, my alter egos yeah i mean obviously i have my that shows up in this satellite of superstars but as right. like this <laughs> otherworldly creature <laughs> ray lynn was just um you know I've, I've been always i've been doing alter egos and characters in my tv series svetlana where i played a russian prostitute like i love immersing myself in characters ray lynn was definitely out there you know mullet um, but the podcast, I had these amazing guests on, and I think the joys of doing a character, she's the kind of character that doesn't make fun of her guests. Do you know what I mean? So it's not mm-hmm. like that kind of situation, but you get stuff out of the guests that you wouldn't get because there's a playful, you know, I had Lawrence O'Donnell on, like all these people that were suddenly really playful with me because this character is so, you know, wackadoodle. Um, and I, and that was really fun. I loved it. And yeah, I did that live show. I did a live show at, at the cellar and, um, you know, it was great. It's great. I love I miss Ray Lynn. I'm going to bring her back. Now, were you able to get all book all of these kind of great guests because of your extensive acting past or? Um, I mean, I think I've made friends over, you know, over the years. Uh, you know, Lawrence, I got to through Kurt Anderson, who I'm sure, you know, who had a show called Studio 360 and WNYC. He's a well-known author and kind of cultural personality. He founded Spy Magazine. But I used to do stuff on his radio show. He came to see my one woman show die, which I did at the culture project a million years ago. And then he wanted me to do some characters, um, you know, and that's how that started. And so when I I, I met Lawrence through him and he called Lawrence and Lawrence was game. That was my first episode, I think. So Lawrence was really, (laughs) you know, taking a risk. He had no idea what he was walking into, but actually I interviewed Kurt already. So I guess he heard Kurt's episode and was like, okay. <laughs> well, let me let me let me back up then, because you know, for my listeners and for myself, I guess I need to know more about how you got to this place to begin with. Like, we're talking in Tel Aviv because that's where your family is. Uh, yeah, I'm here um, taking care of my mother, actually. So, but I, I but, was. Uh, we'll go a little back. I'll give you the condensed version, so we don't. But you're. You but, know. You're, but you grew up in New York. I grew up in New, New York Yorker. in the Bronx. I'm a New Yorker, born in Manhattan, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I moved to Israel. My parents are Israeli, and then my parents got divorced, and I moved with my mom to Israel when I was in eighth grade. Uh, and then I stayed here, and I had to do the army and all that stuff. What's that? That's quite a bad mitzvah. Yeah, exactly. It was definitely culture Your bad shock. Is you go to Israel. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so after the army, I traveled. You know, most Israelis after the army, they, they backpack for extended periods of time. So I backpacked through Asia on my own for, for six months. Looking back, I'm like, how did my mom let me do that? But everybody, I guess, let everybody do that. Because, you know, you're like 19, 20. 
But after that, I went to, back to the U.S. to go to college. I went to Brown. And then after Brown, I moved to New York and acted and got hit by a truck riding my bicycle back from clown class. And after as I recovered, one as one does, um, red nose and all. And then after I recovered, I was like, fuck this. I'm moving to L.A. You kind of like sense your own mortality. Mm-hmm. I was in a cast for months. Like I couldn't work. It was in New York winter. It was depressing. Um, and then I moved to L.A. And then I, I started, you know, I just kind of fell into I realized very quickly, and this was a time when an agent said to me, you're too ethnic. This is when they could say stuff to you like that. Like, you know, a commercial agent's like, you're too ethnic for us. Now I'm not ethnic enough. So mm-hmm. things have things have changed. But I was I was just missing playing roles I wanted to, to play. Uh, so I started writing my own material and I did stand up and I wrote a one woman show. And then my this kind of one woman show thing started. So I've done four so far, which, and, and, you know, playing characters is my favorite thing, kind of immersing myself in characters that I are still grounded. They're not, they're believable in a way. Um, and doing, and then Svetlana happened. So everything kind of happened. I've been very uh, proactive, you know, never wanted to wait for the phone to ring and just create my own, create my own work. It's actually, right. I think harder today. Um because everybody's doing that, you know, back when I started, there weren't like a million YouTubers and influencers yeah. and videos like, you know, so you do something. And I remember Mark Cuban, I shot Svetlana pilot on my own dime and I emailed Mark Cuban cold and he emailed right back. I was like shocked. And he goes, I love this. Let's do it. And then he ended up producing my TV series for two seasons. So that's right, because I don't you, think that you, happens you, anymore. Right. Well, with Mark Cuban, because you did that before Shark Tank. Like you could just right. Straight, I did do it before Shark Tank. You just go yes, straight to the shark and go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here's my pitch. Are you in? <laughs> that seems like a tough room. Oh, I'd have like nightmares if I had to do Shark Tank. I've heard. I've heard other nightmares about that too. Because once, if you do some, if you do something on Shark Tank, there's all these other sharks that come in and do copycats of your product. Oh, really? Because oh, they see not... that you're pitching this, they're like, "Oh, well, we okay. can make that for cheaper." Right. Right. Because yeah. Well, that's like, you know, but that's how you people worry about their scripts, people that are very secretive right. about their ideas. And like, if you're worried about this idea, you're not going to go far. Like, you just got to put it out there. People are going to take your ideas. Other shows are going to be developed that you thought was your idea, but someone else thought about it, too. Like, you know, there's no end to it, really. No, there is no end to it. So wait, <laughs> so which because I know you you've you've written books about like the backpacking. Yes, I wrote two books. Through, right. Yeah. Um, so dork whore in Machu Mai Picchu. Machu Mai Picchu, that is correct. Yes, you got that right. <laughs> so, were you already acting when you were writing those books, or did that come first? Yeah, no, I was acting, and I wanted initially to write Dork Whore as a one woman show, but then I kept writing it, and I was like, oh wow, actually, I want this to be a book. Uh, and then I submitted it to an agent or my manager at the time who was very negative. She's like, no, no one's gonna buy it. And then you really have to remember that uh, you can never, you should never take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. And I had a new manager who's like, no, my book agent's going to love this and sent it to him. And we had a silent auction in New York and I sold the book like in three days. So it really reminds you to not, you know, cause it's very easy when you're starting out. If someone says no, and they've had 25 years of experience in the industry to just be like, okay, I guess it's not, you know, it's not good enough or I shouldn't do this. So don't listen <laughs> unless they're right. And then you're just wasting your time, but you never know. You never know. Was was that easier for you when you were younger to not listen? I don't know. It comes in waves. You know, you think that you, as you've been doing this for a longer time, you don't care as much. And that happens sometimes. Sometimes you care more. 
because you feel like there's more at stake because you're older. You know, I, I think it, it like anything, I guess. Right. I mean, certain people, as they get older, one day you're confident. The next day you're insecure. Certain insecurities don't change. Like I look at my book, I, I adapted my book, Dorcor, into a film, which were, were, were kind of in early phases of development. And I go, oh, my God, I'm still that person in a lot of ways. That's depressing. <laughs> like all my neuroses and shit when I was 19. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, my God, I still have those issues. All those years of therapy for naught. Um, so, yeah, people don't change. How as someone who was uh, initially too ethnic. Yes. Br- breaking, breaking into the Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, was how long did it take before you started to get these kind of plum guest starring roles in sitcoms? I mean, I think they came and went. I think for most working actors, uh, it really comes in waves. You know, it's very rare that you hit and then everything just starts happening. I remember going to an audition, I don't know, 10 years ago, and two actors from Twin Peaks were there waiting to audition. And I was like, Jesus Christ, like I idolize these guys. You know what I mean? They were on Twin Peaks. They were in the film. <laughs> and you'd go to other auditions. I see this Broadway. She won a Tony and she's at a commercial audition. Or something. It was crazy to me, but that's just the life of a, a working actor. So I was, I was in LA. Um, I don't know for a couple, you know, maybe a year. I don't know, maybe less. And I got like some voice, it started with voiceovers for Star Trek. So I did voiceovers for the Star Trek video games. And then I got a Star Trek episode. That was my first, first job. And then I got friends, but you know, it was a tiny thing on, it was small. Like it rarely moves the needle. Things like curb move the needle, you know, I mean, hacks, like things that are really high profile that really, you really shine. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the, you know, a lot of the stuff it comes and goes, you do a good job, you know, and I did a lot of one hour dramas over the last few years, you know, those kind of procedurals. And then, you know, like, okay, great. Saw you on it, but it's not going to, it's not going to change my, you know, transform my career. It's work. It's just work. It's fun and it's work. Oh, so, okay. Well, I had two, I had two questions. I might as well ask them both. Please. That's what I do. Um, Did you, did you see yourself as a character actor or, or did you see yourself as a leading actor who was getting stuck in character roles? I think I never... I never thought of myself as like the, the leading bombshell, you know, you kind of know what Hollywood's about, but I, I think I was young when I got there and I was still shocked at how my agents would talk to me very bluntly and go, Oh, you're not hot enough. Like it was okay for the agent to say that. And one time the agent said, no, they're looking for tits on wheels. And I'm like, okay, like you know, they would literally say that. So with the comedy, it's never much of an issue, but you, you also quickly found, and that's changed. Thankfully, but you'd find with comedy, they were still looking for the hot, the hot ones. Like they were still looking for the cast of friends. You know what I mean? I'm talking like 15 years ago, you know, mm-hmm. like more. And so even that was frustrating. And the thing with me is I was never one to go do my hair and makeup. And I had one manager tell me I have to lose weight. You know, she it was just stuff that I was kind of horrified by. I never took I was offended, but I never changed. I was like, no, if this is how I have to get the part, you know, I'm not that person. And. I am charactery and I play the eccentric neighbor. I think these days in today's, you know, the women that are leading these shows, because they're also writers, you know, it's that multi-hyphenate. Then, you know, I, they're, I think they're beautiful, but again, they're not that standard stick figure, you know, Courtney Cox at the time kind of characters. Right. Um, so as long as I can do fun, interesting work, 
it would be great to be the lead in the movie. You know, great to be a lead in the movie. Great. Fantastic. <laughs> but it's like, you know, you do the work. I do my one woman shows and I'm on stage on my own for 90 minutes. I'm happy. Okay. Well, the other question was like, once you do start to get a, a succession of, of kind of plum guest starring roles as the, the character that's, that's like a scene stealer for like one scene right. or two scenes. Right. Does that build any sort of momentum or no? Where from your earlier answer, it sounds like it doesn't necessarily translate it, into it depends. people going, I mean, oh, I, think- yeah, I, I want, I want her for this. She can do. Right. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it show. does. The weirdo in this one. Right. <laughs> Perla was not a weirdo. Perla was a fantastic nurse. Um, <laughs> I think it does. I think it creates relationships in other ways, you know, because I create my own work, you know, you meet showrunners and you might collaborate later. I think curb generated work. And I think, you know, my role on curb people still remember. And, and, um, and so I think that did, like I said, move the needle, so to speak, but it does that. Yeah. I think when you're a scene stealer, it, 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 it never hurts. Let's put it that way. Uh, and I think it's always nice when people can be like, Oh, right. You're the, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, speaking of curb, when you're on a ski lift with Larry David, (laughs) And I've had one interaction with Larry David, so I know that even off camera, he's still Larry David. (laughs) Um, When you're on that ski lift shooting that first scene, could you imagine that you would be revisiting that character 12 years later? I don't think I was thinking that at the time. I think I was so excited to do that show. And... I love improv. I love when you can really, you know, like my Svetlana show was improvised. I love improv. And even when I did hacks, Lucia and Paul, like they, you know, and Jen, they, after you do the script, they let you improv. Like, I love that um, as a, as a work habit. I think amazing things come through when you're able to do that. And Larry, uh, you know, loves when people are funny around him. Uh, He lets people shine. I think that was the brilliance of that show. Uh, and so I was just so, ex- yeah, excited about it. I don't think I thought too much ahead. You know, when they called me back, they called me back. What was it last year to do like a cameo? Mm-hmm. In one of the episodes that was like, oh, wow. Like that was a nice surprise. And it was nice to see Larry, you know. Um, yeah, I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of that gig. <laughs> oh, well, you, you just mentioned hacks, you know, that working with, uh, I was going to say Deborah Vance, Jean Smart. <laughs> yes, she's amazing. <laughs> Um, so, so how much improvising did you do in that? I mean, we did, I don't remember. I don't, I can't tell you exactly what they ended up using in the final cut. I think there was like a little bit bits here and there. Mm -hmm. Um, but we did, I think again, we would do the script and then they would always say to me, you know, there's a little wiggle room if you want to add something or ad lib, you know, and Hannah's also an improviser. Jean is brilliant. I mean, I hope she wins every accolade from that show because she's phenomenal and, they were all so lovely to work with. And it was, you know, it was not easy. It was like the beginning of people coming back to work. We're wearing the masks and the shields, wearing two masks and a shield and getting tested twice a day. And you're on a soundstage and only the actors take off the mask and you feel so naked and vulnerable. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're like only the three of us have no masks on. Everyone else, you know, has their hazmat suits. Right. Um, and creating comedy in that environment, you know, but it, it worked. It worked. I think people also, we were so thirsty for it. There was this, level of appreciation for working that nobody took for granted. I don't care how big a star you are, you know, because suddenly all that was taken away for a long period of time. Right. So just, right. Just being able to do anything outside of yes. your apartment. 
Yes. Just being there. Yeah. Um, You mentioned also like what it was like 15 years ago. And I, I find that uh, more than coincidental because 15 years ago was we're in 2021 as, as we're talking now, if, if you're listening in 2030, it's 2021 (laughs) as we're talking. So 15 years ago is 2006. And that's when like, it seems like your career went through everything in 2006. Because remind me, because I don't, it's all a blur to me. So, so remind me what we're talking about here. Okay. So according to the internet, yes, two of these things I know, but according to the internet, uh, one thing you did was you filmed an unaired pilot of the big bang theory. Oh God. Yeah, I did. I was you a all, series regular. And then I got replaced. You also, <laughs> also in 2006, you were the, you were the second, second build star of Larry, the cable guy. Health yes. Inspector. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the major motion picture box office <sighs> smash feel good hit critically of the acclaimed Larry the Cable Guy health inspector and then that was also the year that you started uh, die the one woman show yes that was a very hefty so, year it's interesting yeah. so I got cast as the series regular on Big Bang Theory and um, nobody obviously knew how big that show was going to be then it was just like another pilot you know right. with Chuck Lorre obviously but. They couldn't find their lead actress. They kept uh, they kept cycling through actresses. Uh, literally every other day, there'd be another actress in there, cast and fired, cast and fired. And then they found one. And then my character came in and we shot the pilot. And um, and it was it was off like everything. You know what I mean? It was something wasn't working. And I remember and then at that point, I was also pursuing a run of my one woman show in New York. So I'd flown to New York to pitch the show to the Culture Project and, you know, it was scheduled to open. So that was all happening. Um, and then I get a call from my agent going, you know, they're recasting you, the two women. They're recasting you and the lead, you know, the, the main mm-hmm. the blonde chick. Um, and I got replaced with two dudes. <laughs> I mean, they replaced me with two dudes. Um, But the day I got that call was the day that I got the call that my show was opening in New York. So at the time, it didn't seem like that. But I'm like, okay, too bad. But this pilot's never going to go anywhere anyway, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And I'm sure my life would have looked very different. But I never I'm not the kind of person to think in in those terms. Everyone's like, oh, God, how devastating. I'm like, well, it's so surreal to me. Like it happened back then. And my life took a turn, you know, and Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would be nice to be a gajillionaire on a hit show. And, you know, whatever. It happened. But then I was also, very good. In that. But, but then also uh, acting alongside Dan Whitney. You know, he's lovely. He, he's I, lovely. Yeah, you know, I've, I, I've talked to him over the years. He's a, he's he's a, very, a nice guy. He's a very I mean, friendly, I don't even nice know guy. Yeah. Look, that show, that movie was like, you know, f- poop jokes and <laughs> and gags. But and we shot in Orlando in the summer. There were several hellish things about that. But. Dan was super fun. And, you know, Keckner, David Keckner was in it. Tony Hale, um, Joey Pants, like these amazing actors were in it. And I got to hang out with brilliant actors and we had a we had a blast. It was like a silly, silly movie. And sometimes people go, what the fuck were you doing? I'm like, I loved it. I had a great time. I really had a great time. Besides being in Orlando. I, I mean, that's a tough spot in the summer. And I had to wear a wool suit outside. It was not easy. Right. And, but also. Like, like you're saying, you, you had a blast. You're with all these talented people. And, and at that point, like Larry, the cable guy could, could have become like the next Ernest with like 10 Larry, the cable right. guy movies. There, yes. There was no way for you to know what the reception know. was going to be like. Well, I never, I think I never think, 
about what it's going to be, maybe because I'm cynical or jaded. I assume something is not going to do what you just do it for fun. And if you think, you know, if it's going to be a good time, there has to be redeeming, you know, Mm -hmm. qualities. Also, you know, paycheck. That's always nice, too. Um, So, yeah. And, you know, that the producer on that movie, who I think was was managing Dan at the time, was the most generous producer ever. He gave every actor a Cartier watch when we wrapped. I think even Joey Pants goes, wow, I've, I've been doing this a million years. No one's like, lovely. not even on the Sopranos. <laughs> yeah. I mean, lovely guys. So all around uh, and Trent Cooper, like the director, it was, you know, it was fun. It was fun. How, how much does that attitude, um, the, the cynicism and the, just do the, just do the, the, the project and not worry about the results. How much does that come from having to spend your formative years in Israel and, doing the two years in the military and growing oh, up and growing up worrying about war and things, yeah, I mean, I things, think that, us, have a very... things that us laissez-faire Americans. I mean, we've already <laughs> forgotten about the pandemic in New York city. I think I've, I've went through a lot in general in life and you know, this, you're not my therapist. I need a therapist though. If you do have one, please email me later. Cause I, <laughs> I really, I haven't had a therapist in a long time and it would be nice to talk to someone. Um, but I had a rough, rough going childhood and, and, moving to Israel. And uh, yeah, we went through the Gulf War here. So I had where was wearing gas masks in high school and, you know, sitting in a sealed room, hoping we don't, you know, get um, I forgot the sarin gas mm-hmm. and the army. It tough. I mean, it's a tough culture. Uh, I think Israel's misunderstood in a lot of ways, like Israelis are. I mean, there's a kind of roughness, but it's also a very tender, warm place. I don't know if you've been, but people that have come to visit are like, oh, you know, it's always easy to kind of demonize, which gets exhausting. The people demonize it. Like I get, I get tired of it. Um, I feel like I have to represent. Um, but uh, I just think I have a very strong work ethic. Sometimes I don't know if not having a master plan or not being as thoughtful, like where's this going to go or not. Maybe it serves me in a lot of ways and maybe it, it doesn't again, you know, I, I, you know, I think certain people that were like, I want to be a showrunner on a TV show and they take that path usually become showrunners because they, they started as an assistant, you know what I mean? And you kind of move up the ladder and you're very focused and you, and you get there with me because I've had so many varied interests and I've done so many different things. I've achieved some success in some areas and moderate and bigger, you know, but that's what I love. I love writing books and doing shows and having my podcast and, you know, doing stand up and doing drama and doing a show about hospice care. Like I've done, you know, whatever interests me, I end up pursuing, um, and so, yeah, I don't know what to tell you on that front. I think being cynical, I don't think I'm cynical. On the contrary, I think I have low expectations, but it doesn't stop me from pursuing things. I don't know. I think cynical would be like, oh, what's the fucking point? Why do this? It's not going to go anywhere. I'm like, no, let's do it. Whatever. Right. But, you know, like you live once and life is short and obviously you don't want to be part of something shitty, but you never know either. Well, I mean, the, 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 the show that you, that you chose to write and stage and perform coming out of Larry the Cable Guy and Big Bang Theory was, was some pretty heavy stuff, you know? Yes. <laughs> well, it, so for those that don't know, Die, which means enough in Hebrew, I played 12 different characters in a cafe in Tel Aviv right before a suicide bomber enters. And all my work, all my one-win shows, all my writing usually combines kind of pathos, you know, tragedy and comedy. So, yes, this is a suicide bombing and these all these characters die in the bombing and the bombing repeats itself. So every character before, you know, it suddenly explodes and, you know, you move on to the next character. But these people are living life. They don't know that they're about to die. So there's a lot of humor in life and 
and from a political standpoint, I cover many viewpoints because I'm that's who I am as a person and my personal political views. You know, I just wrote another play called The Olive Tree and half the cast is Palestinian. The other half is Israeli. And it's a pure comedy. It's like a farce. Mm-hmm. And working with Palestinians and Israelis was amazing. Like, so I love that. I'm very kind of, you know, an activist in that regard. Um, so I like my stuff to have meaning. The stuff I'm creating, the stuff that, you know, you get, you don't look for inherent. You're not going to change the world, you know, uh, with an episode of nine one one or SWAT, but you know what you you entertain people and people need entertainment and you don't know whose life you're changing. If someone is severely depressed and this is their solace is watching these shows that, you know, like escapism, then I think you are doing a service. And so that's how I like to think about it, whether it's comedy or even doing a simple, yeah, like a procedural show where I, it, it's entertaining, you know, everybody likes to watch Hawaii five Oh, why not? You know, I got my arm sliced off in a bowling alley on 911. That was a harrowing shoot, but it was fun. And and look, they reattached it. So it's all also all that. They reatta- all. that no, doing those prosthetic stuff. That was the first time I had done that. Mm-hmm. And I got to work with Peter Krause, who I used to be obsessed with from Six Feet Under. So it's just, you know, you end up working with cool people and then you meet the DP. And, you know, I love watching because I'm hopefully going to be directing my first feature um, early next year. Um, that's when we're scheduled to shoot. And so, you know, just learning the craft and new things, there's always new stuff to, to learn when you're on set. Is that for a dark horror or for something else? No, no, that's uh, a movie about my late brother. Oh. Um, so that's, uh, that's kind of in, that's, that's moving forward and I'm excited about that. So, you know, taking my work into directions I haven't taken it before and, but all my work is usually very highly personal, which I love. How old were you when you, when your brother died? Uh, this was three years ago, so I oh. can't disclose my age, Sean. Let's just say I was 29. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he passed away. He was severely autistic. He was living in a group home, and it's about our relationship. And um, But again, there's a lot of humor in it as well. Uh, I, that's how I deal with, 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 that's my coping mechanism in life and in my work. It works for me most of the time. Right, because you've got that, and now you know you're back in, in, in Tel Aviv caring for your mother yes yes which has also been very challenging yes so it's almost it went from covid to my mother and then the war here and i'm like can we get a break can i just go to the beach for a day please i i now i now sense why you would like referrals for a therapist because yeah (laughs) it's almost it's almost a little too cliche of the like the the theatrical masks the comedy and tragedy (laughs) Or as a therapist, you say manic depressive much. Yeah, I know. I know. There was a lot piling on um, on me in a very short period of time. And you learn how resilient you are. But you also I think sometimes resilience can be a curse in a way because you take on more, you know, like you don't know how to put boundaries. I don't know what self-care means. Do you know what I mean? I'm dealing with that and caregiving as a full-time thing and deal, you know, and then the war came and we're now in the bomb shelter and I'm trying to keep, you know, calm my son down. And it's more and more. And it's like, well, go get a pedicure, Iris, just go. But I don't, I do my own nails and that's not a fun sight to, to see either. Well, that's when, that's when you need to pull out something from the book of Leon. Thank Nice segue. There you go, Sean. The book of Leon. Yes. Yes. Which, which, which some people might not know that uh, you, you you co-authored with with JD I did Smoot. I co-authored I'm on the inside cover no but the one that nobody looks at <laughs> <laughs> what, that was what a was, fun time yeah what was that like writing a a funny book of philosophy 
with well, JD Smoove, who I've, I've had the chance to talk to, and he he does not stop. <laughs> no, he doesn't stop. Up. He doesn't stop. He's one of those brilliant minds. He's like I feel like that kind of Robin Williamsy kind of can go yes. off. You know, yes. I think he has that. Um, it was fun because again, I got to create, you know, and, and think as a character. Um, obviously, you know, I'd write and he'd kind of go over cause it's his character and you want to make sure it's authentic to his embodiment, but mm-hmm. coming up with topics and subjects and, and talking to him and letting him riff. And, you know, it was a great, it was a great experience. Um, and he's a brilliant, you know, have you seen his standup? He's also great as yeah. a standup. He's Did, fun. He's super, how, super fun. How, how much of that has rubbed off on you though, in terms of like the philosophical, how to, how to look at life with, with joy Look at life with joy. It hasn't rubbed off at all. No, I'm kidding. Um, I mean, I think I, I do anyway. So mm. I just think, you know, Leon is the fly by the seat of his pants kind of guy. And I think I, I can relate to that. Um, I'm also a six foot four black man. So, you know, it, it resonates with me. Um, no, but I think that uh, I think JB's probably taller than six four. I don't know how tall JB is. Now I'm curious. I guess yeah, we can Wikipedia, but who can trust Wikipedia? Him, really? I just think of him as a giant. <laughs> yeah, he's a giant. He's a giant of comedy. Yeah. Um, anybody that Larry, uh, you know, puts on the show. And obviously I think, uh, you know, JB got really upgraded there because he, you know, he was so brilliant that Larry's like, I want this guy around all the time. Larry has an eye for that too. You know, I think you look at every single person on that show and every single guest star and every single, they're all amazing. There's never a weak link. And that includes you, Arise Bar. Oh, thanks. Yeah, see, I give my amateur a compliment, kind of in a really passive, kind of humble, humble brag way. <laughs> so, so what, what are you most looking forward to at this point? Huh. Um, well, I'm looking forward to performing live again. You know, I, I just did stand up here for the first time with these, the two biggest comics in Israel, but we did in English, which was, you know, um, and it was great being in front of a live audience. And I'm looking forward to, you know, doing pre-pro on my film and kind of creatively breaking that down in a way. Um, and also DoorCore is in development. So there's a lot of projects that are kind of happening that I'm excited about. And just going to the beach and getting a, and getting a pedicure, because again, I, I've, I've never, it's been a while. It's been a while. Well, I'm not on video. I look forward to all of those things for you. And, Thank you, Sean. And also Thank the you. next surprising time I turn on my screen and see you. <laughs> You'll there. see me as the weird, the weird one. <laughs> Getting her, her arm lobbed off with Dan Whitney in the background. Who knows? Or the, or the, the great overprotective spa nurse. It, it's, all, it's all great. It's all great. Definitely watch Hacks. If you haven't watched Hacks, definitely watch Hacks. <laughs> yeah, there's a season two. So she, you know, she's got to come back. She's got to come back. I know. Yeah, let's get let's start a campaign. Bring Perla. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank you well, so thank much, you, Sean. I'm glad we finally did this. We talked about doing this for a little while, so I'm glad. We I know, I know. I'm glad this. it. I'm glad it happened. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening.
first.